we're starting to see it grow. I think it was five plants in total in Canada across the different uh, categories. So it's starting to grow in Canada. It's starting to become a concern, and it's starting to become a concern in the U.S., especially when the, the Smithfield um, uh, CEO... Now, Smithfield, by the way, is Chinese-owned. Um, many, many people may not know that, but China bought them uh, in 2013, and they are actually the largest pig and pork processor in the world. Um, so they're huge. And when the CEO comes out and says, look, this is going to have an impact on, on supply, uh, we're going to have to listen. Mm-hmm. Right, because obviously they, uh, they would know the numbers and certainly they're not uh, in it just uh, for the fun of it. But, you know, we've got this area. Uh, and by the way, how long does it take uh, before we actually see shortages? Because as I understand, a lot of these slaughterhouses and processing plants are shut down for weeks at a time. So if a worker is infected, they have to shut down the whole thing, sanitize it. So when does that then hit the supply chain? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And if if we look at the supply chain, it's obviously got multiple tiers or multiple levels. So I, I, probably an analogy to, um, to to look at this is that um, let's say you have all of the trains coming into the GO station in the morning and they're full of passengers and it's rush hour. And then the only way out of, of, uh, of Union Station is one revolving door. This is what's actually happening right now when one of these processing plants closes down. So it's like all of the farmers and the, uh, the producers, they have no place to go with the animals. So it, it causes what we call cascading consequences. Right. And so on the on the, the demand side, if demand stays re- relatively stable, we'll, we will have enough meat for several weeks, I, I, I'm assuming several weeks, uh, in refrigeration. That can go out into retail and satisfy demand. But the two big problems, uh, there's three major problems here. The cascading consequences is one, the length or duration of the problem, and the depth of the problem. So in other words, how many staff are, are impacted? Is it a formal outbreak? Now, in that Smithfield plant in the U.S., it's, I think it's 240 employees. So that's, that's, a, that's an outbreak. Uh, so that's pretty significant. And then what they do with contact uh, tracing for that, it may be more widespread in that area. So the, the depth of the problem, um, the, the duration, the length, and the cascading consequences. And, and it's just like that, Alex, where you, you kind of you shut one door and everything backs up behind it. So farmers are having to euthanize their animals, yeah, whether yeah. it's cattle and, uh, and pork. In some cases, they're going to the length where they're putting them on maintenance feed, which is a cheaper feed. Uh, rather than feed to fatten them, right? So the farmers are struggling. Mm-hmm. We know from uh, uh, the milk processors in the U.S. and Canada are dumping the milk, which is yeah. really, it's, it's, it's really, but we talked about that before. But let me stop you there because that one, like the, the, the amount of waste of milk getting dumped, I mean, cows cannot stop producing milk. It's just not, it's not a thing unless you, you know, ingest yeah. them with a bunch of hormones. So we are dumping all of the, like thousands upon thousands of liters of milk. Why can't that be repurposed somehow and donated to, let's say, breakfast programs for, for people who don't, or, or food banks? Why can't that be given away? Is it just that there's too much uh, regulation on it? Well, again, it's it's the cascading consequences that, that occur here as well. You have processing plants that could, let's say, turn it into yogurt or, or cheese or other products. But they have uh, limited capacity. So, the, the the issue here is if you if you take a systems view of the whole system, the whole you know entire uh, food chain, there's so many cascading things that need to occur. 
So, for example, do we have enough uh, coal storage for products? And the answer to that is, well, we have enough in under normal circumstances. So what is the buffer for that? Uh, you see, unfortunately, now with, uh, with mortality rates, we're having to go to refrigerated trucks uh, because we don't have enough uh, storage in, in, in morgue. So that's, that's kind of a buffer that you can have in there. And right through the supply chain, you have to look at what else can you do to do something with those products. Now, with milk, what the dairy associations are saying is that uh, they're going to, um, to food banks, but food banks have limited cold storage. Yeah. They're going to the processors who would turn it into other products, but they have limited processing capacity uh, to mm-hmm. turn it into those products. So, and no farmer wants to to dump or get rid of their their produce or kill their yeah. animals. I mean, it's it's really everyone is suffering from this. Yeah, and, and then then you've got the produce farmers who are dangerously close uh, to to not being able to seed crops, and there's the issues with the foreign uh, temporary workers. Uh, you know whether or not they're going to be isolated, and whether I mean there is so much pressure on the agricultural sector right now. Um, what do you see? I mean, the conversations we've had in the past is that you know the supply chain's good, it's fine, it's solid, don't worry. But now we're getting into territory that we have not seen in this country before, or have we? <laughs> Uh, no, this is new territory. And the, again, the issue goes, goes back to systems thinking. We don't have enough people that are trained to look at this from a systems perspective. And I don't mean just IT systems. I mean the whole the whole supply chain. And then look at all of the, the consequences or cascading consequences that could occur. So so for one, one example, for example, um, the, we need the, in Ontario, we need the foreign uh, workers to plant our corn. But guess what? We put a lot of our corn into the ethanol plants. But because fuel is down by about 75%, ethanol plants uh, in the U.S. are closing. In Canada, they haven't closed yet, but they've significantly reduced uh, capacity. So if the farmers are successful in planting corn, will they have a customer in the ethanol plants for that? And the answer to that is probably no. If ethanol then is not produced, ethanol is used for uh, uh, alcohol, uh, beverages, it's used as chemicals. It's even used as a refrigerant um, in, in the food industry as well. So, so it's, it's really it's cascading consequences, and we have to look at this systemically. Originally, people were just looking at, oh, well, do we have enough products on the shelf? And yeah. it's, they always have to look at the whole system. Yeah, you know, when you put it in and explain it like that, it's like, oh, gee, and then you think, okay, the farmers also have to deal with the increased carbon tax, and who cares? Well, they care because it costs them thousands and thousands more to dry the grain that they need to dry, you know, to ship it out and hopefully make bread or whatever products they make, but it is just not a one hit, it just continues to ripple out. So in your mind and your expertise, when do we start really kind of getting into big trouble? Uh, when when's the deadline for for kind of co- correcting things? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, the three key things: the the depth of the problem, will uh, the severity of it, whether it's an outbreak. Now, the Smithfield plant in the U.S. they're not even giving it a date for reopening. Uh, you know, so that's five percent that's gone uh, for the foreseeable future. And the uh, the industry has said it's probably seven percent now in total with other plants that are closed. So that's gone off the market. And then the mm-hmm. issue is: can the other farmers 
are the other processors make up that? Well, you know what? They cannot because they're yeah. putting in the physical distancing uh, procedures and they're reducing capacity and, and also reducing the amount of workers because it's nearly impossible in these shoulder-to-shoulder processing plants to do the physical distancing according to public health uh, guidelines. So the ones that would take up the slack for that 7%, let's say, in the U.S., if we just look at pork, they are reducing. So I, I think we're going to get to a stage pretty quickly where we're probably going to be down about 20%. So that's on the, the depth of the problem, uh, Alex. And then what, what industry have not fully embraced is, the, again, the systems thinking. If, if the public health agency says to you that six, we, we presume that 60% of the population will, will be uh, infected, they have not until recently really internalized that and said, you know what, if I have a thousand workers in my factory, that means 600 of them could get sick. Yeah. What is my plan? Do I, have, do I have two of those that are critical to operate one machine? So, so that's when you get into that cascading effects. So that's the depth of the problem. Then you get into the duration. If it goes longer than, uh, I would say, two to four weeks, then we have we have a, a noticeable problem when the storage in, uh, in refrigerated uh, units starts to dry up. And then there's the unforeseen ones from the cascading mm. consequences like ethanol that's yeah. used for other areas and so on.